Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 11.05 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 6th of May, 2020. This is episode 235 of Bitcoin, and it's probably going to be a bit short. Uh, There's lots of stuff going on around the household today, so uh, I'm just going to rip into this son of a bitch right here. Ukraine considers using nuclear plants for cryptocurrency mining. Well, shit, why not? (laughs) Ukraine's Ministry of Energy believes that using power plants for crypto mining could be one of the best ways to take advantage of a current energy glut. Stephen O'Neill writing this one sometime this morning for Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency mining is a contemporary and efficient way to use excess energy, Ukraine's Ministry of Energy argued in a May 6th statement published on Facebook. Jesus, God. According to the Post, local nuclear plants have generated the surplus due to the COVID-19 lockdown. The Bureau is now looking to apply oppressive, progressive solutions to avoid wasting energy as part of the government's course towards digitization championed by President Volodymyr Zelensky. Okay, well, I didn't quite screw that up as bad as I thought I was going to. But leaving the situation unchanged might create conditions for corruption offenses, which will ultimately be paid at Ukrainian citizens' expense, the ministry warns. Crypto mining, in turn, could prove to be one of the efficient solutions. The Post continues, quote, There is a way to transfer the liability into an asset. One of the modern approaches for using excess Electricity is devoted to cryptocurrency mining that would not only allow to maintain the guaranteed load on the nuclear-powered plants, but also ensure that companies can attract extra funds. Therefore, it would open the way to a fundamentally new economy, new approaches, a new market model, end quote, as previously reported by a Russian-language crypto news outlet, Forklog, on May 5th. The acting head of Ukraine's Ministry of Energy requested the state-owned enterprises energy what the Energagatom whatever to study potential ways to implement cryptocurrency mining at the country's nuclear energy generating facilities by May the 8th. <clears throat> Power plants have been used for cryptocurrency mining mining before, although not on a government scale. As reported by Cointelegraph in March, a privately owned power plant in New York's Finger Lake region, or Finger Lakes region, turned to Bitcoin mining, adding about $50,000 worth of BTC each day to daily revenues. Okay, there you go. So now we got the, the, uh, one of the governmental ministries in Ukraine about to figure out how to, how to do this shit. Okay, so what's... What's interesting about the energy industry as a whole, especially electricity production and grid charging and all that, is that it's not easy. That's that one of the things about electricity is that it's not just, oh, um, 
we'll just pump all this power into the grid and everybody will be fine. No, that's not how that shit works. You have to balance the load in the grid to how much is actually being used versus how much is being generated. You can't just over-generate and charge the grid with it because if you do that, you're going to screw up your grid. And vice versa, if you're using more energy than you're actually producing, well, then you get blackouts and that ain't exactly good for the grid either. So there's this juggling act or like this this huge balancing act that always has to go on. And this is not, you know, uh, how did we, you know, did we balance for the month? No, this is like you got to balance on an hour over hour basis. There's all manner of stuff that has to be done, right? So one of the great things about uh, cryptocurrency mining, uh, actually, you really only want to do Bitcoin mining because honestly, the rest of it is shit coins. But just saying... As far as mining is concerned, it's a way to deload your grid with if you have excess and thereby you can run your stuff like your generation equipment at peak, not at peak capacity, but at at some capacity that it doesn't do bad things by having, you know, when, when these things are idle, that's not good either. I mean, again, the balancing act comes into play where you've got, okay, well, we just won't turn it on because we don't have uh, the load. We don't need the. We don't need to load up the grid that much, right? Well, that's not good for the equipment sitting idle. So it's better to actually have it generating something than nothing. But if you're generating even something and that's too much for the grid, you got problems. Enter Bitcoin mining, where you can deload everything and do it in a completely automated way via algorithms and you know and it lit lit it do the load balancing simply by firing up a miner because honestly you don't need to keep a miner on you just need to turn it on when you need to load balance i don't know man i think it's going to be great personally and i don't it, it, will ukraine actually do it i don't know man it's ukraine i mean come on dude they're you know i people in you know countries like ukraine say shit all the time and then never do it so we'll just have to see and as somebody else who's saying something and seems to flip-flop on Bitcoin a lot is Michael Novogratz. He's saying that Galaxy a Digital Hedge Fund fund are now buying Bitcoin with announcements on the way. Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime this morning. Former hedge fund billionaire and Galaxy Digital founder Michael Novogratz says he's sticking with Bitcoin as hedge funds move into the space. Caveat. I do remember on several occasions Michael Novogratz giving Bitcoin shit like, oh, well, I'm not sure if it's really going to be what we thought it was going to be. I, I'm getting flip-floppiness out of this guy, so take everything here with a grain of salt because you never know what he's going to say tomorrow. In a new CNBC interview, though, the crypto investor says there's plenty of economic uncertainty, but as the BTC having approaches in the markets retract or react to extreme measures enacted by central banks and fiscal agents, <laughs> which have created a situation we've never been in before, people will ultimately make their move, says Novogratz, quote, I think there will be a push to hard assets, you think? Despite several types of hard assets from real estate to raw materials such as gold and oil, Novogratz boils his options down to cryptocurrency. Quote, I love Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Next Tuesday, we have the Bitcoin halving where the inflation rate gets cut in half. So you talk about inflation and fiat currencies where the Fed is printing money like it's a money printing machine. Go brr. And in the Bitcoin space, the money supply gets cut 50%. Big deal there. 
we're seeing lots of new investors in that space, hedge funds that are buying it, not just individual managers. They're buying it in their fund. I think you'll see some announcements soon of that or investor letters coming out. And so um, and so all positive stuff in terms of flow in that space. That's where the bulk of my risk is. It's been a fun environment in the Bitcoin space after a long desert. We now have real activity in quote. For retail investors eyeing gold or Bitcoin, Novogratz says he believes the panic selling cycle has quieted. Quote, I think Bitcoin and gold did suffer a pretty big risk off in the original deleveraging. Bitcoin went from 10,000 to 5,000 and gold had a pretty big retracement. I feel pretty good about those markets. I think the forced selling and a lot of the leverage left uh, and a lot of the leverage left those markets. Gold is simple. If you're a retail investor, you can buy an ETF or if you have a futures account, just buy gold futures. Bitcoin is a little trickier. If you're a small investor setting up a Coinbase account or any account, Gemini or one of the exchanges makes sense. In quote, mm, God, Coinbase. Novogratz says the huge gulf between the stock market with rebounds incoming rather quickly since the market crash in Main Street where families are facing food lines and the worst unemployment rate since the Great Depression is unprecedented. It is equally difficult to reconcile massive economic pain for average Americans while the Fed approved the single biggest liquidity injection in history. God, as for the coronavirus pandemic and the havoc it could continue to wreak, the outbreak has not dramatically tapered off. The billionaire investor isn't ruling out any sudden developments given COVID-19's unknown trajectory. Quote, it's really hard to paint a picture of that. Uh, that God, I'm sorry, guys. It's really hard to paint a picture that the economy in the next 18 months gets even close to back where it was. Things are going to take longer unless there's some miracle cure or this virus just decides to run away, neither of which are high probability events, end quote. Since Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell's response to the crisis has been to use the full powers of the Fed to burr, I mean, uh, intervene with trillions of dollars to buy unlimited amounts of U.S. government bonds and mortgage-backed securities, a response that has far outweighed measures undertaken by his predecessor, Ben Bernanke, during the global financial crisis of 2008 and 9, Novogratz doesn't believe the stock market can crash again. Oh, buddy. Quote, I think it can grind down. I'd be short till maybe 2600 on the S&P, and then I'd probably take a long again. I think we've seen the lows of the year. I just don't think there's a great story for why things are going to rocket to the upside. Eh. <clears throat> Hard to predict any of this stuff. William Suberg is writing this one for Coin Telegraph sometime this morning. Bitcoin stock to flow creator will go dark if BTC price hits six figures. The world will be nasty if Bitcoin hits stock to flow's predictions of 288,000 and higher. Plan B warns as governments will fight for it. The creator of the Bitcoin price model, which forecasts $288,000 for BTC by 2024, will go dark if his predictions come true. Yeah, I probably would too. Speaking of the latest edition on the uh, Stephen Levera podcast on May the 5th, Plan B warned about the implications of his Bitcoin bull scenario. Stock to Flow's latest incarnation, S2FX, was released last week and increased its average Bitcoin price expectations five times compared to the previous version. 
For plan B, despite the obvious satisfaction of BTC increasing by an order of magnitude in line with stock to flow, the result would not be without its problems. Quote, I'll go dark if the model is successful, because if the model is successful, it will not be a pretty picture, end quote, he said. It will be nasty. It will be maybe war. People have bitcoins. Some people don't have Bitcoin. It'll be some countries have Bitcoins, some won't have Bitcoins. It will be the U.S. dollar losing its reserve status. It will be geopolitical. It will be military, end quote. Contrary to what he perceives as the expectations of some, Plan B added that should the model break, he would remain a social media presence. Quote, that's not the case. I'll stay then because we'll need a different model, end quote, he explained. Critics continue to line up to pour scorn on stock to flow, as Cointelegraph reported. They include Bitfinex, Bitcoin Whale, Joe007, Vitalik Buterin, and others. Plan B has argued that those attempting to discredit the model have failed to come up with evidence or an alternative theory, which is demonstrably accurate. In five days' time, the third Bitcoin block subsidy having a key milestone in the stock to flow timeline at to 288,000 and higher will become reality. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know any, I, I don't know about the model itself. I mean, I know about the model. I don't know if it's going to be accurate. I'm not saying it either way because who knows it, it's hard. It's hard to tell so far the price, you know, versus the stock to flow, you know, in the price versus stock to flow has held, but we don't know what's coming on in the future. Easy to talk about st stuff that happened in the past and use all that data to grind into, you know, something that, that you can use as a projection, but I, you know, it's risky. Okay. So that's about the, the model, but if he's right, I'm still not exactly sure if at $288,000 per Bitcoin, whether or not, uh, some of the, you know, that he should be going dark because geopolitical military, you know, strife. I'm not sure if $288,000 is a strike point on that. You know, if it was like several million dollars per coin or like at least a million dollars per coin, maybe, you know, maybe at that point. But honestly, you would need, you know, Bitcoin would need something like seven, eight trillion dollar market cap, you know, and surpass gold or something like that. Or approach, or rather, get to that approach, you know, where it's really threatening to do that. And at that point, yeah, I don't believe two hundred eighty-eight or three hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin is going to trigger that shit. But you know, I could be wrong, definitely. Oh, somebody who was wrong was Bitmain. Crypto mining giant Bitmain confirms problems with Antminer S seventeen units. Stephen O'Neill, writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning, says after several customer complaints aired on social media, Chinese mining giant Bitmain confirms that some of its Antminer S17 units have issues. Oh, so you release shit into the wind, huh? Chinese mining hardware company Bitmain uh, has admitted to having issues with some of the Antminer S17 units. Quote, Antminer is paying close attention to the issues of some products from the 17 series, which has recently been mentioned by the media, a Bitmain spokesperson told Cointelegraph on May the 6th, adding, quote, during this process, we have begun to negotiate solutions with customers who have encountered issues from the product. Sell, sell, sell. Antminer has always been adhering to the concept of placing customers first. 
If any customer has any product issues, please contact the official customer service of AntMiner at any time. As recently reported by Cointelegraph, a mining entrepreneur started a Telegram group earlier this month after supposedly receiving a bad batch of AntMiner S17 Plus devices with around 30% of the order machines glitching or breaking down after only one month of use. Oh, God. The group, which now has over 160 members, contains several complaints of a similar nature. Identical concerns were previously articulated by Samson Mao, chief strategy officer of blockchain infrastructure firm Blockstream. Mao tweeted last month that Bitmain customers have a 20 to 30% failure rate with Antminer S17 and T17 units. Sell, sell, sell. Now, probably a good idea. With the Bitcoin having taking place in one week, Bitmain has recently sold out of its first round of domestic Antminer S19 sales. Although the units will not be shipped until May the 11th at the earliest, the new product was designed to produce increasing increased mining output in post-havening conditions. So there you go, Bitmain screwing up again. Hey, let's look at some vitals. All right, let's start out with some traditional shit from cnbc.com forward slash markets. It looks like the major indices are, I don't know, moving sideways, except for uh, Asia. Asia's freaking out a little bit. S&P is like, dude, totally sideways. NASDAQ is up a percent. Uh, The Dow Jones is completely sideways. The FTSE is sideways. The Nikkei, or Nikkei, whatever you want to uh, say it, is downed almost 3% while the Shanghai is up a half a percent and the Hang Seng index is up 1%. So God only knows what the hell's going on, but I'm sure it's interesting. Bonds, meh. I'm uh, literally meh. The US 30, 30 years yielding one, well, like one and a half percent. The 10 year is yielding three quarters of a percent. Oil is, has had a plunge. Uh, 5.62% uh, change to the downside. Everything in, in uh, gold is down too. Holy crap. It's down 1.3%. Its last price was $1,687. So there's your traditional stuff. Let's get into real money here. Bitcoin is at 9,262. It's above 9,000, bro. Where's our high? Where my, I got to have a high here, man. Come on, give me my high. Give me my high. Yeah, GDAX has it at 9,289. And let's see, was that my low? Yeah, okay. So the two, 9,262 is the low. We've had 350,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, giving us right around 14,000 transactions on average per hour. 1.18 million BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours, with the average being sent per hour of about 50,000 BTC. Average transaction value is 3.5 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.04 BTC. That's about 410 bucks. Block time is low. 8 minutes and 34 seconds. We have had 0.42 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. And good God, 71.8 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, We've had a 73% increase in hash rate, and we are sitting at 125.8 
exahashes per second. But again, that's according to BitInfo charts. We'll look at what my node has to say about the network hash rate here in a second. Uh, the last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 208. Bitcoin Crash is at 250. BSV is at 207. And its leader is under plagiar, has plagiarized some stuff again yet one more time. Litecoin is at 46, uh, 47 bucks. Ethereum Classic is at $7, and Dogecoin holding it out at $0.0025. At 31,600 transactions in the last 24 hours, it is walking all up and down Litecoin. Getting close to Ethereum Classic, though. That's kind of cool. All right, let's see what my note has to say about what's going on. Uh, I'm showing a daily the daily hash rate at 133.9 exahashes per second with a weekly average of 121.3 exahashes per second. As far as I can tell in the last 10 blocks, all the blocks are full. Okay, there we go. Now let's see, check out Lightning Network via bitcoin.clarkmoody.com or the Clark Moody Bitcoin dashboard. Uh, total capacity in the Lightning Network is 931.5 BTC. That gives us $8.62 million US in uh, capacity value or liquidity. The total number of nodes is 6,916, giving us 36,055 channels. The Tor capacity is holding at 403.5 BTC, giving us right around 43.3%, which is what it was yesterday. Uh, we have 2,018 Tor nodes on the network, and that's going to do it for Vitals. More energy. Bitcoin having could bring way more mining back to North America. This is Colin Harper writing sometime yesterday for Decrypt.co. Over leveraged Chinese miners risk being washed out with Bitcoin's having next week. Some industry observers say that North America's surging mining industry will pick up the slack. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. All right, let's see what's going on here. The having is certain to flush out inefficient miners and recalibrate the global share of hash rate. Will miners in North America benefit from a collapse in China? Chinese mining pools currently account for 65% of Bitcoin's hash rate, while their North American counterparts make up roughly 15% of hash rate, according to data from CoinShares. But industry experts tell Decrypt that China's beleaguered mining sector, whose problems will be exacerbated by the halving next week when miners' rewards are cut in half, has created a hash rate tug of war that could shift the balance of power to North America. While Chinese miners are financially over leveraged and suffering from supply chain shortages affecting next gen ASIC equipment, miners in North America are enjoying nor new sources of cheap and renewable energy and increased appetite from North American investors. Okay, the halving will likely impact how over leveraged Chinese miners do business driving many of them out of the market or forcing them to restructure their operations to compete. Depending on the Bitcoin price going into the halving, these miners will risk bankruptcy, even those with next-gen hardware. That's because they will have to spend most of their mining rewards on their debt obligations, so they'll be the first to be washed out when their revenue is cut in half. Quote, Chinese miners are generally more leveraged than North American, Ethan Vera, a pool operator at North American Luxor Mining Pool, told Decrypt. 
it's clear that they are highly leveraged because during the fall in crypto prices in March, almost all of the margin called in, quote, Matrix Port, the newest venture from Bitmain co-founder Jihan Wu, also makes loans to many of China's biggest miners, Vera confirmed. These miners may have access to the cheapest electricity in the world, but that won't matter if all their revenues go towards paying off their debt. God. I say what you want about Jihan Wu. I mean, I, the dude sucks ass, but I got to admit, having a loan company, is, it's, not that it's, not, it's not that it's brilliant because it's totally been done before, but it's like, yeah, when you're just that evil, <laughs> when you find yourself in a position where you don't give a shit if you sleep at night because of all the money, yeah, that, 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 yeah, there you go. So whatever. As these operations implode, mining firms in North America, especially when they finally rig up new machines, will fill the gaps in hash rate. Dennis Rozanovich, Rozanovich, whatever, who operates an 80 megawatt mining operation in Kazakhstan, expects that once many more new generation ASICs come online, this will have a major impact on hash rate redistribution for the next 12 months. He elaborated that if the Bitcoin price is high after the halving, around or above eight grand, then inefficient miners will have a reprieve. But if Bitcoin is trending towards 4,000, then he expects we could see price wars wherein large farms come out on top over smaller ones, something that could risk centralizing mining in China further. Even with Bitcoin at $9,000, it's likely that this halving will hurt North America pretty bad in the near term, Vera told Decrypt, but it will be good in the midterm. Samson Mao, the chief strategy officer of Blockstream, agreed, adding that we're already seeing a large segment of Bitcoin mining move to North America. These include Blockstream's operations, a 300 megawatt joint operation between its Quebec and Georgia facilities. Munich-based Data AG, formerly Northern Bitcoin AG, has established its own 300 megawatt facility in Rockdale, Texas, with 300 megawatts total capacity, these are some of the largest Bitcoin mining facilities in the world. Other examples of North American mining, or sorry, burgeoning mining sector, are not too hard to find. One firm, Upstream Data, is selling mining rigs to oil drillers to help them make better use of flare or vented gas. Another company, VBit, is establishing a 200 megawatt facility in Alberta, Canada. Mao expects this wealth to run over into the ASIC chip manufacturing business as well, saying it's inevitable that major ASIC companies set up manufacturing facilities in North America in the coming years. Guess Marty's going to get his foundry. Despite this activity, Mao does not expect any immediate shakeout that will redistribute hash rate. Instead, the process will be gradual. But it will mean that North American will continue to emerge as Chinese or China's primary rival. And he anticipates that this competition will be in the hardware manufacturing realm as well as the mining industry itself. Quote, the least efficient and least capitalized miners will struggle and possibly shut off. We saw this happen during the March drop in Bitcoin's price. Hash rate dropped, difficulty dropped, and the more efficient miners mined more Bitcoin. When the price recovered... The hash rate started to recover. The system works just as intended, and it favors the most efficient players. This hash rate diaspora, or I'm sorry, diaspora, could come from a widespread bust in overleveraged mega mining farms in China, accustomed to the rapid growth that has come to define China's perpetually booming economy over the past few decades. Chinese investors have a higher risk appetite than their American counterparts, Vera said, but American investors 
are increasingly perceiving Bitcoin as more of an opportunity than a risk. As this perception changes and over-leveraged operations in China come apart at the seams, both factors will contribute to North American gaining a foothold on China in this new mining economy. Still, Bitcoin's boom and bust cycles have a, leave a sour taste in the mouths of legacy investors who help bankroll these operations. They pour money into infrastructure and mining only to see their dreams for digital gold. Uh, sorry, I lost my place because I moved my keyboard and I didn't know if I had paused the recording here. So sorry. Hey, it's production. What are you going to do? Only to see their dreams for the digital gold rush be turned quite literally into scrap metal. Perhaps this is the greatest challenge facing the nascent Bitcoin mining industry. How to properly scale and hedge for volatility. Mining insurance policies don't currently exist at scale. Something Rosinovich pointed out when he spoke to the lack of collar hedging strategies. An investment tactic involving options contracts that are meant to limit losses in the Bitcoin mining market. One Canadian miner we spoke to who was wiped out on Black Thursday in March plans to do just that. The crash caused him to rethink his former day job as an insurance broker. Now he wants to offer insurance policies to complement the hedging strategies Rasinovich discussed. Until then, miners will have to stick with the playbook they've had so far. Turning off inefficient miners, planning efficiently well beforehand, and as Samson Mao aptly put it, believing in Bitcoin. If North American investors keep believing, perhaps the halving is the beginning of the mining industry's decoupling from China. Well, one could only hope, but even if it didn't, it's not like, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen a whole bunch of chicanery. I mean, well, we get price movements and stuff like that, but I, I haven't seen the entire Chinese mining, you know, process try to destroy Bitcoin. I have not seen that occur. I'm sure that there's people out there screaming at me, well, what about this? What about, yeah, Bitcoin's at nine grand, dude. Come on. I don't think the Chinese, I mean, the Chinese government may do one thing and the American governments may, you know, government may do one thing and Ukrainian government, the governments do their thing. But when you get down to it, it's really the people that matter, not the government. I mean, it depends on the force leveraged by the government versus the defense force leveraged by the people of that government. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I haven't seen anything to suggest that China mining industry has actively tried to destroy Bitcoin. Hell, they won't even go after BSV. They won't even try to screw up Bcash. Why in the hell would they screw up Bitcoin? So I'm not all that, eh, I'm not all that scared, right? Eh, it doesn't really matter. A new way to measure Bitcoin hash rate just in time for the having. Oh joy, Decrypt.co's Colin Harper writing this one sometime yesterday. Blockchain data firm Coin Metrics has created a new metric for measuring Bitcoin hash rate, and it could lead to a new way for miners to hedge their risks. Speaking of mining. Blockchain data firm Coinmetrics is asking the Bitcoin community to reconsider how it measures Bitcoin hash rate, and it's offering alternatives that could provide statistical backbone for financial products that will, would help miners hedge for hash rate volatility. 
Oh boy, new derivatives coming down the pipe. In its latest state of the network, Coinmetrics proposes a new tool to gauge Bitcoin's hash rate or how hard mining computers are working to find new blocks on the network. Currently, there's no reliable metric. Oh, sorry. There's no reliable metric with which to measure hash rate accurately, the data firm contends. The best we can do, according to Coinmetrics, is to run a ballpark estimate by using Bitcoin's difficulty, an internally correcting measure that dictates how hard it is to find a block, and the frequency with which blocks are produced. Makes sense. Quote, in a distributed process like mining, it is near impossible to obtain reliable hash rate figures from the universe of miners. Coinmetrics bend Calamerge wrote in the post, quote, therefore, the current best practice of deriving hash rate is to generate an implied value from the hash rate at which blocks are produced at a given difficulty level. Gunning for a more precise data point, Coinmetrics first looks at what it calls implied hash rate. This metric, instead of looking at block times for each 24-hour period and combining this with Bitcoin's mining difficulty to calculate hash rate, looks back 48 or 72 hours. By widening the window, Coinmetrics can better account for Bitcoin's hash rate volatility. Once you have implied hash rate, you can then multiply this by the time it took to mine the most recent block on the network. From this equation, you could extract a more precise figure uh, for Bitcoin's hash rate, Coinmetrics argues, with what it calls observed work. Quote, by introducing both the implied hash rate level and the time taken to find the most recent block, this representation of work conducted is more reactive and responsive to the realities of mining activity when compared with chain work, end quote. And according to the firm, better hash rate metrics would mean new financial products for Bitcoin, products that are specifically tailored towards Bitcoin miners. With reliable data, market makers could create futures contracts that bet on Bitcoin's future hash rate. This would give speculators another market to bet on, sure, but it would also provide miners a hedge against their own operations. For example, because of the nature of Bitcoin and the costs involved, miners are always long Bitcoin. But with the derivatives options like this, they could short Bitcoin's hash rate just in case their operation becomes less profitable in light of a difficulty adjustment, change in power rates, or even, yes, the soon-to-come halving of Bitcoin mining rewards. Denis Rusinovich, who runs a mining operation in Kazakhstan, told Decrypt that collar hedging strategies like we have for traditional mining don't exist for this industry. So if Coinmetrics' new hash rate measure catches on, it could facilitate a financial product that, as Coinmetric points out in his blog, could cater to the venture capital and private equity crowd that continues to fund Bitcoin mining setups. After all... This crowd is accustomed to hedging options like this, and it could help inspire more confidence in a young but quickly maturing sector. I don't like derivatives. I'm sure that I'm sure it's good for Bitcoin. I just don't like derivatives. I I just I whatever. Social indicators wax bullish leading up to Bitcoin's having. This is CryptoBriefing.com's uh, Ali Martinez. It says uh, the sentiments of, of crypto market participants often precede price action and as speculation mounts leading up to Bitcoin's having the wisdom of the crowd <laughs> can help determine where BTC is headed next. I don't trust the crowd. I like the crowd. I just don't trust them. Through retail masses or though retail masses can have a powerful effect on the price of any asset, the crypto market is a unique beast. CNBC, for instance, is widely known within the crypto community for its outrageous predictions about where the flagship cryptocurrency is headed next. The 
CNBC has always been a good counter trade. But each time the financial media giant makes a prediction, the market tends to move in the opposite direction. Similar behavior can be observed with the Crypto Fear and Greed Index. This fundamental indicator analyzes the sentiment from a variety of sources to determine how fearful or greedy investors are regarding Bitcoin. Fear usually leads to bullish momentum, while greed signals a future slump in prices. Now that Bitcoin's halving is just a few days away, speculation is through the roof. The word halving is dominating the narrative around the bellwether cryptocurrency on Twitter, according to data from the firm TIE, or TIE, TIE Fighter. Tweet volumes about the next week's event have quintupled, quintupled over the past two weeks, with 35% of the interactions being bearish. But what does this say about BTC's price? Sentiment, a behavior analytics platform, affirmed that price rarely does what the crowd expects. A glimpse at Santiment's aggregated social volumes for the word having and havening paints a clear picture. Each time the social media chatter around these topics surged over the past three months, Bitcoin's price moved differently. During the March market meltdown, for example, talks about the upcoming block rewards reduction event skyrocketed, which led to a price increase. Then, as the Pioneer cryptocurrency reclaimed the $7,000 support level in early April, conversations about the halving across multiple social media networks spiked up. This, however, was followed by a retracement that pushed BTC down to $6,600 as the month of May begins. Mention of the halving is once again rising. However, the mood around market participants feels different this time. Ah, this time is different, bro. Quote, our sentiment algorithms suggest that the crowd is turning increasingly sheepish about the upcoming halvening and Bitcoin's short-term PA said Dino, head of content and SEO at Santiment. Also analyzed Sentiment's social data feed to determine the overall view among market participants across more than 1,000 social media channels. There, the analyst noted that the pessimistic, pessimistic, pessimistic outlook currently outweighs the more bullish one. A significant number of people believe that Bitcoin is poised to retrace before the halving. Contrarians have argued that there is an unexpected upswing underway. Such a bullish impulse may even have the ability to trick bears into panic buying as they try to get a piece of the price action. This erratic behavior will be ideal for the Bitcoin whales to dump their holdings at the top. Oh God, I, I hate the whales too. Under this premise, prices could rise substantially before the halving following by a steep decline that multiple analysts have suggested will happen. Although it is too early to tell, this scenario appears to be playing out at the time of writing. Bitcoin has been consolidating within a narrow trading range over the past week. This consolidation area is defined by the lower and upper Bollinger Bands that sit between $8,600 and $9,170. As the Bollinger Bands squeeze on BTC's four-hour chart, momentum for a period of high volatility has been building up slowly. The inability to determine in which direction Bitcoin was going to break out may crypto briefing condemn the trading range between 8,600 and 9,170, a reasonable no trade zone. Today, however, the flagship cryptocurrency seems to be slicing through resistance, which may lead to a substantial upswing, a further increase in the buying pressure behind BTC that allows it to turn the $9,170 resistance into support could send it towards new yearly highs.
If this were to happen, the next critical supply barriers to pay attention to are BTC's February high of 10,500 and the 127.2% Fibonacci retracement level at 10,900. Only time will tell. On-chain analyst Willie Wu noted that the number of addresses with 1,000 BTC have been steadily rising since the beginning of the year. This continuous accumulation, despite the commotion in the global financial markets, is a macro bullish sign, according to Wu. The long-term outlook coincides with Glassnode's new Compass Index, which suggests that throughout the month of May, Bitcoin has been moving strongly towards the bullish quadrant. As emotions heat up in proximity to Bitcoin's having exuberance and high levels of volatility are to be expected. Thus, it is important to remain cautious to avoid getting caught on the wrong side of the trend. Okay. Yeah, avoid. Here's how to avoid getting caught on the wrong side of the trend dollar cost average in. Just throw 20 bucks a week at this son of a bitch and do it for about 10 years and see what happens on the other side of that one. Because if you're trading this stuff, unless you are ridiculously pro, and I mean not just have the mentality and the balls of steel to last, you better have fast-ass computers, shit tons of monitors, every analytics tool under the sun, all analyzing this shit at once, while having a head towards all social media, you you better be good. That's all I'm saying. I am not that good. That's why I don't trade. But sometimes I do laugh because Priyashu Garg is writing this for CryptoSlate.com. Craig Wright's university is investigating reports of plagiarism in his PhD dissertation. This was written today. Charles Sturt University is investigating reports of plagiarism in Craig Wright's doctoral thesis. A spokesperson for the university said on Twitter, the investigation came as a result of intense community pressure after a report found that, aside from his LLM thesis, Wright's doctoral thesis was ripe with plagiarism. Recently, a report found that Craig Wright, the chief scientist at Enchain and self-proclaimed creator of Bitcoin, might have plagiarized his doctoral thesis. Well, shit, people. He can't do anything else on his own. Why would he do this? Of course he's going to plagiarize. He can't tell the truth. He can't make anything on his own. What do you expect? Whatever. The deep dive into his PhD dissertation came a month after the same researcher, the pseudonymous Painted Frog, discovered Wright's 2008 Master of Laws dissertation has been heavily plagiarized. Wright's doctoral thesis titled The Quantification of Information Systems Risk, a look at quantitative responses to information security issues, was awarded to him in 2017 at Australia's Charles Sturt University. Quote, Wright plagiarized huge swathes of content and reworded it to avoid automated detection tools. In most cases, he simply substituted synonyms every few words, the researcher found, adding that deliberate plagiarism was present in at least 30 pages of his thesis, including the entirety of chapter six. And I don't know about Australian college dissertations, but the importance of the, the way the chapters are numbered 
is for a reason. It's not like, oh, this is my chapter six or, oh, this is my chapter three, which is different from your chapter three. No, 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 no. These things are are basically programmed and they're done that way so that the people who are monitoring your dissertation progress can keep track of what part you are doing. Chapter six is basically, in, in the United States at least, is one of the chapters that is the meat and potatoes of your original thought. It's not like he's plagiarizing the, you know, the, the, uh, references section. It's not like he's plagiarizing, you know, I don't know, one of the other chapters that might, you know, kind of talk about the history of what's behind, you know, his, his, I I'm doing this because in, in the past this has been done and, and this is sort of the history of, of my thesis kind of, or, or, you know, sort of the area of thought that has been, that has caused me to say, I need to do something different. Here's my different thing. No, 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 that was play. No, it's, it appears to me that the chapter six is like the meat and potatoes of your original thought. It's all plagiarized. It's it, it, the guy is a fraud. Steve, uh, Mr. or he shouldn't even be called doctor. Mr. Wright is a complete and utter fraud. As was the case last month, the report quickly began making rounds on social media, causing a stir in the crypto community. Many have called on Charles Sturt University to investigate all reports of plagiarism in Wright's thesis, considering the fact that it is one of the most dire academic offenses. It's not one of the most. It is the most. It is. It, it literally is the most dire, uh, not one of, okay? According to the pseudonymous researcher behind the report, Professor Tanvir Zia, the associate head of the School of Computing and Mathematics at Star Charles Sturt University, told him in an email that Wright's case will be investigated. As many members of the crypto community began to began to look for organizations above the university where complaints could be made, an official statement was made on Twitter. The official Twitter account of Charles Sturt University responded to a thread saying they were aware of the allegations and are investigating them. However, they noted that no further public comments will be made as the university respected their students' right for privacy, which is totally should be done. Uh, I need to save this tweet, by the way. Uh, the eyes of the crypto industry now all seem pointed at right, with many waiting to see what the next response from the university will be. At press time, neither Wright nor his company, Enchain, have issued a statement. Well, of course not. And if they do issue a statement, it'll probably be plagiarized. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, guys. Today's Daily Train Wrecked. Brought to you by Stephen Cole and Myas Land, also known as Opinionated75 on Twitter. It's an exchange, so I'll let you determine. Well, I'll let's just do this. Not buying Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry. Stephen Cole starts this yesterday sometime by saying, not buying Bitcoin because you can't afford one BTC is like not buying gold because you can't afford a huge gold brick. One dollar buys thousands of sats. Think in sats. Make sats the standard. Opinionated comes back with, I won't buy butt coin because child traffickers use it. Stephen Cole, 
rightfully replies, most criminal activity uses dollars. I assume you'll stop using USD or Canadian dollars now. Somebody or this other person writes back and says they use the internet too. And yet here she is. And this opinionated 75 finishes the train wreck off by saying perfect analogy. Bitcoin is like the dark web. was barbecuing. I thought somebody was barbecuing too because the roasting ensues after that one. I I still fail to understand completely how misguided people can be about this particular attack. I yesterday I was talking about a hammer. You can use a hammer to build a house and you can use a hammer to kill somebody. The hammer by itself doesn't do dick. It's the people behind the hammer that decides whether to build or destroy. It's the people. It's not the tech. Blaming Bitcoin for anything is ridiculous. Blaming gold for anything is ridiculous. Blaming oil for anything is ridiculous. It's not the stuff. It's how people use it. So Bitcoin isn't like the dark web. People are like the dark web. Uh, Buttcoin doesn't have anything to do with child traffickers because it doesn't traffic children. People traffic children. I, I, I fail to see how impossible it is to not understand this simple truth that has been around before Bitcoin. It's been around before firearms. It's been around since probably monkeys were throwing rocks at each other. It's not the freaking rock's fault. It's the monkey's fault. Stop being a monkey and everything will be fine. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile sitting over there in the corner. Let's get into this uh, little joke here, which is kind of an interesting, interesting way to do this. Um, this is going to come from uh, Francis Pouliot and Away Slice. Away Slice begins this one by saying, I see the fourth, I am the fourth generation to care for these irises. And he's showing a picture of a very pretty iris flower. Francis Pouliot says, for real? Away Slice says, yeah, it's possible they go back even further, but we only know that great grandma had them for sure, but not where she got them. Francis says, well, that's so damn cool. I, I pop in and I say, well, do you propagate these by division? Away Slice says, no, I suck at math. Ugh. Honestly, man, do I, should I even? <laughs> For those who don't get that joke, propagation by division is the ability to dig up a particular plant and split it down the middle all the way down its, uh, into its root ball and divide it into two. That's right. Divide it into two. And of course, a way slice is just, you know, he's he's throwing me around the room because that was a perfect. Oh, God, it was beautiful. Honestly, that's why it's today's terrible joke corner. <laughs> I suck at math. Damn you, Homer slice. OK, uh, chicken report. Not much to report. Chickens are doing what chickens do. Being cute, stepping on my feet, peck. I, I, I had one peck me so hard on the leg yesterday, it actually kind of hurt. But still, I just, I absolutely love hanging out with these birds. 
uh, fruit tree report so far, so good. Haven't had any of them fall over. Uh, we've had uh, a cool front move through. So instead of being 90 degrees, which can very much exacerbate transplant shock in trees, we are now sitting in the 80s and then we're going to get into some uh, 70s for about a week. And that will very much help uh, the trees either come out of their transplant plant shock or not go into it as severely as they would if it was a hot ass son of a bitch like we get out here in Texas. Uh, heat is one of the things when you're, uh, we have a really tight window where, where I'm at in the panhandle of Texas because I'm at the northern range of like uh, this in like seven uh, USDA uh, zone seven to six. I'm at the very, I'm like kind of getting at the, at the top end where it's even colder, right? So that means that, that if I was living down in Lubbock, like I used to, I wouldn't worry about, you know, doing things like planting trees in mid April because chances are good. We're not going to get another freeze. That is not the case up here. It was just three short weeks ago that we got like two freezes in a row over the overnight and that kind of screwed up some stuff for me. But here, uh, now, since I planted these trees on last Sunday, I, I'm getting close to where it's getting too late to plant trees without the fear of going into transplant shock because of the damn heat. It is a scary, scary, you know, sliver of window that we have to be able to do this kind of thing here. And I'm learning as I go, but I think I lucked out because I got a full moon, which has a tendency to pull water up through the tree. Okay. It tidal forces work in plants, just like they work in lakes and oceans and seas and shit like that. Okay. So on a full moon and the moon is like in my view, I get it. You know, it's the tidal forces will pull water up through the tree, having the tree not have to worry about pumping water itself. It also helpful for mitigating transplant shock or having the tree not go into transplant shock because that shock, I mean, if, if it's not mitigated and the tree doesn't get out of it, it's dead. If it is slightly mitigated and the tree does come out of it, um, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not all that clear as to whether or not that hurts the long-term uh, viability of that tree. It may not die in five years. It may not die in 20 years, but it may suck at doing other things like, you know, producing apples or cherries or whatever the hell it is out there. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm really hopeful that, that I didn't screw this one up in my timing here. So, but only, only time will tell. Um, I think that's about it. So I guess I'll just see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.